Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Where Work Meets Life. I'm Dr. Laura, and I'm thrilled to be here speaking today with a very special guest about experiential intelligence. And this topic came across my feed, and I've often thought of how important and powerful our experiences are, both our successes and our failures in life. If, if you grew up in a difficult circumstance, if you had a troubled teenagehood, if you've been through a brutal divorce, whatever you've been through in your life, even being fired, laid off unexpectedly, those things help build us into who we are today if we learn and grow and evolve from those experiences. An early mentor of mine called it another freaking growth experience, an AFGE, and we all have these. And when I think back to some of the lowest, most difficult points of my own career, they were the AFGEs where I felt totally low and belittled and I had to develop the resilience. I had to say, okay, Laura, you can decide to fall down and not do this again, or you can learn and grow and better yourself to avoid this sort of situation in the future, which is obviously the path that I decided to take. And I hope that many of you have decided to take as well, learning from these experiences. And experiential intelligence is just as important as education as emotional intelligence, as other forms of intelligence in our lives. So I'm really happy to be talking about experience, and I think we need to value that a lot. Education is important, but without that experience and that mindset and the growth mindset, people are not going to be as effective, productive, engaged, uh, in their work and in their careers. So the power of experience, we're going to be talking today with a fellow thought leader, an organizational psychologist I respect, Soren Kaplan, a best-selling author, a speaker like myself, uh, an entrepreneur like myself, co-founder of Praxy.com, and also um, a faculty member at the Center for Effective Organizations at the University of Southern California. So he brings that combination of business experience and academic research experience. And he takes topics and he brings these topics to the world to make a difference. He's an award-winning author. This is his third book, Experiential Intelligence, that we'll talk about today. He's a former corporate executive, so he brings that experience to us co-founder of Praxy.com, a columnist for Inc. Magazine and Psychology Today, publications that I love. And he's also a keynote speaker international, internationally. Um, so his latest book, Experiential Intelligence, reveals how life experience contributes a form of intelligence on par with IQ or intellect and EQ, emotional intelligence which can be leveraged for breakthrough leadership and innovation. Welcome to Where Work Meets Life, Soren. Thank you, Laura. Great to be here. It is my pleasure. So tell us, Soren, uh, a little bit about what you're up to these days beyond how I've introduced you. If there's anything else you want to add about where you're at with your life and your work. Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, you know, the, the book came out this year. It's um, it's done pretty well. It's gotten a lot of press and won uh, awards. It's just got the Best Business uh, Book Award. 
in, in one of the awards uh, that is kind of an international book award. So I'm really excited for the book itself. That translates to a lot of leadership development work, a lot of speaking, and through some of my work at Praxy.com, trying to create you know, leverageable tools and templates and best practices for organizations and leaders so that they can tap into the life experience that exists across all their people and really use it to innovate and take their, their performance to the next level. Wonderful. What a great application. And I like how you take the evidence and you apply it to make the world of work and life better. So speaking of life, Soren, tell us about the unique elements of your life that led you to focus on experiential intelligence. Well, this book is sort of a personal um, story of mine. Uh, I reveal a lot of kind of some of my early childhood uh, challenges, I guess you could say. And I combine that with just working with tens of thousands of leaders around the world. So on the personal side, um, I grew up with um, kind of a unique upbringing. I uh, my mother had a mental illness. She got it when I was three. Uh, my father was rarely around. And we had moved, I think, 16 times before I was age 15. And so that gave me a little trauma to work through, I guess you could say. Uh, but also, I learned to navigate a lot of uncertainty, make decisions with very little information, and, and really be very self-sufficient early on, which if you think about what I've done in life, I've done a lot of uh, I've done a couple startups. I've, I've helped organizations decipher their cultures. I'm pretty good at reading body language. So the same things that sort of traumatized me early on, I got a lot of practice with, and that's life experience. And I have discovered those assets and then applied them to working with leaders to help them change their organizational cultures and innovate. So, you know, that's what I think what we'll talk about today. How do you take your life experiences, the hard things, as well as the things that you really, you know, have done that have led to successes and combine all that to take yourself and your organizations and teams to the next level? Love it. And thank you for sharing so much in your book and being so open about growing up with a really difficult situation and, and mother. And look where you are today. It's, a, it's amazing that you've come through all of that and risen. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And, you know, I, th I think a lot of us have difficult stories. And sometimes we're, you know, either ashamed or we don't have the right, you know, environment or people that we feel comfortable with to share. But it's with getting in touch with those stories ourselves as well as sharing them with others, we can get feedback and input to really understand that everything that happens to us, there are lessons in there, there are strengths that we build as difficult as they can be. And so that's, it's an opportunity. And so what I want to do is really just role model that. I appreciate that. And I had a mentally unstable mother as well. So I, maybe not in a cult situation, but just mentally up and down. And it was difficult at times for sure. And uh, so I can relate, but I do think that's helped me grow and understand mental illness better. So I'm curious, how, how do you think that shaped you and gave you assets whether they're assets around how you think your mindsets or certain abilities that you're actually using today because of those early experiences? Well, not much surprises me. And that's probably a good thing in my field because you can be very 
non-judgmental, very open, um, and not let things stress you out too much. Um, I feel like I can take in other people's life stories and not let it get me super anxious or I can't handle it or cope with it. So that's resilience, basically. Yeah. And, and so the unpredictability that you got a lot of practice with, it's like that 10,000 hour rule. You get a lot of practice with unpredictability. You get a lot of practice with uncertainty. You then learn how to deal with those experiences so that when you're in a different environment, whether it's work or coaching or whatever you're doing, you then have those assets to then apply. And those are really strengths that you've got, it sounds like, just like I have certain strengths from those difficult experiences as well. Totally. And unlike you with your father, MIA, a lot of the time my father was very stable and very caring and we had the same house growing up. And so I had those stability factors, lost him at age 21, now that sucked big time, but um, had him for those 21 years to kind of lay the foundations and other foundations of, you know, and values in my life. Right. Ah, so experiential intelligence or XQ, as you call it, what is it? Well, you know, there's, there's an assumption that we've had for a long time that the smarter you are, the more successful you'll be, you'll be and almost, you know, there's almost status tied to it. But what do we even mean by smart? So we've had this idea that IQ, your intelligence uh, quotient, as measured by an IQ test is really, you know, kind of a, the key success factor. Um, that's existed for over 100 years. Then probably about 30 years ago, we got really more broadly introduced to the idea of emotional intelligence. So if we're in touch with our own emotions and then the emotions of other people, then we'll be more successful ourselves in life as well as in leadership and business. And at the same time, in the last 30 years, 20 years, 10 years, the world's changed faster than ever before. We've, we've got so much disruption happening out there, political, social, technological. There's now artificial intelligence out there. There's so much happening and we need to quickly adapt and be resilient. But IQ and EQ aren't enough to explain what makes us us and what makes us able to function and adapt and, and navigate today's world. It's experience. You, you talk about what gives people their ability to, to tap into what's going to allow them to move forward and achieve their goals. Usually we're talking about different assets other than emotions and, and IQ. We're talking about different attributes that we develop, usually based on our experience. And you and I were just talking about those experiences that we had in our home life that gave us practice doing certain things that give us kind of these higher order abilities to navigate uncertainty or be resilient or understand group norms that exist kind of uh, underneath the surface of teams, whatever those things might be. And, and that's what I mean by experiential intelligence. It's your mindsets, your abilities, and really the, the know-how and skills that you do develop uh, over time through experience. And those experiential elements may or may not get translated into a, a resume, for example. Maybe you can tell us a bit more about how, how people go about explaining these or bottling them up in a way like it's easier with education, right, and job experience, but how do you bottle up experiential intelligence? Yeah, you know, it's funny because... In the last five years or so, 
there you talk about re your resume um the the number of jobs requiring a college degree at least in the US went from 51% in 2017 to 44% last year and then the number of people who believe that college and a college education is is very important and this is a um a broad-based survey uh, in, in the U.S. is 74% uh, in 2016 said a college education is important. 41% say it's important today. So what, what's happening here is we're recognizing that the formal resume isn't the end-all be-all. So it used to just be your job descriptions, some keywords, and kind of some skills. Well, being able to talk about, and here's a quick example. I hired someone recently. She didn't have any, she was early twenties, no work experience. And uh, she was still in college in the, as a 22 year old. And um, she wanted an internship. And I asked her what experience she had. And she said, well, she had just gotten back from India where she was traveling alone for six months. She had been in the military and led a, a battalion there. And I asked her how she had, how she learned how to be a leader. And she said she had to figure it out. And she had moved to another culture when she was in middle school and had to learn a new language and, and, and kind of figure that out too. So those clued me, those experiences clued me into that she had certain cultural sensitivity skills. She was highly adaptable. She had a very positive can-do approach. And now she's one of the kind of top leaders in, in customer success at, at Praxi.com. And so what I saw in her were these intangible, non kind of formal resume items, but it's because I kind of think and breathe experiential intelligence. If we're just trying to, you know, kind of understand ourselves or understand someone who's submitting a resume, we want to look for things that are typically outside of perhaps the norm in terms of job description. So what, where have you volunteered in your community? Where have you traveled? What kind of hobbies do you have? And then decipher those things and understand the kinds of you know, valuable assets that they've given to you, whether it's how you think or whether it's specific abilities that you've got. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hearing really shows me that during these uncertain times and turbulent times, XQ or experiential intelligence is really helpful to someone in, in their careers and, and lives. Yeah, I, th I think it really, the idea that your broader life experience has given you assets you can draw upon is empowering. Uh, I had someone who, I've known her for a number of years, my book comes out and she gets the book and then tells me that she had felt really stuck in her previous job. It was just limiting for her and that she decided to leave it. And as she read the book and, and just recognized that she actually had skills and abilities that she wasn't taking into account when she was searching for her next opportunity. And so she brought in the search, got more confidence, and then she got a job she didn't think she was even qualified to get. And she increased her pay by about 50%. So, you know, some of it is just about empowering oneself to realize that we're way more capable than perhaps the line items on our resume suggest. Yes, absolutely. And it makes me think how, I don't know if it's happening in your neck of the woods, but there's a lot of parents that really don't 
how do I say this? They protect their kids from failing. So they're almost helicoptering the kids. And then the kids aren't developing the necessary life skills. And that really concerns me about experiential intelligence being missed in that subset of kids. Yeah, the um, what you're talking about there is a broader issue, and the helicopter parent concept is exactly that. Um, what you're, what I've talked to a lot of people who are interested in education and experiential intelligence. Experiential learning is fundamental to experiential intelligence, um, and so the idea is that if you can provide experiences, even pull back and provide, see if your child quote unquote fails or struggles. And then use that as the basis for support and learning. You know, that's where resilience is created because when they get out in the real world, they're not going to have the helicopter parent to block and tackle for them. There's something, something is going to be a setback or a failure or whatever you call it. And they, the resilient uh, people are ones who sort of, you know, had practice uh, with that resilience uh, versus kind of your first time out there and something happens and you don't know how to deal with it because mom and dad have, uh, you know, or your parent uh, has has been, you know, um, kind of providing you with uh, protection from those experiences. Exactly. And I, I guess what I'm curious about is hiring managers and recruiters, how can they better assess experiential intelligence? Because I have a feeling it's it's more difficult to assess if you don't know what you're asking, if you go with the traditional methods. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, can, you can try to explore beyond just the actual work experiences people have had. Um, sometimes people list a job description, but it also actually doesn't describe the experiences they had in that job. And so if you're a hiring manager and you know the types of abilities or competencies you're looking for, then the opportunity is to one, un- try to understand what the experiences were within those jobs that reveal those competencies. That's one thing. The other is to explore the the candidates or the individual who is applying for the job, their experiences outside of the work environment, things that their you know hobbies or things they've done that they feel illustrate those kind of abilities that you're looking for in that that workplace as well. Um, and then you know the other piece I do have a in, in my book there's a a, a di- kind of a, a self-assessment diagnostic. It's quantitative. It's a survey, and it looks at you know your your own ability to be flexible with your mindsets, and you know are, are you able to do that? Can you reflect on the experiences that you've had and recognize the strengths within them? So there's a number of questions that you can ask to to see if someone has that experiential intelligence themselves, and then you know that's an umbrella for then trying to help decipher essentially what you're bringing to the party. And you can help people do that, whether it's a candidate or whether it's in your team, or you can even apply it to yourself as a, as a leader or, or if you're trying to f- figure out the next chapter of what you want to do as well. Wonderful. And I love that about your book. There's, it's really a lot of tools and very actionable, I'd say. The um, again, the way we learn usually we could read a book, but by applying something, by talking to someone, by 
practicing something. It's experiential learning that creates the experiential intelligence. And so I have, you know, because I've just worked with many leaders and teams and organizations, I know how practical some of these things kind of need to, to get in a very simple way for people to start using them. And then at the beginning of each chapter, there's a QR code and you literally, if you have the hard copy, you can put your phone over it and then you get a, a video intro of me describing why I wrote the book, this chapter and the way I wrote it and kind of the backstory behind each chapter, again, to try to just bring to life the experience of a quote unquote book. Love it. So uh, you talk about mindsets in the book. And I'm curious uh, to just have a bit more um, thoughts around the mindsets that we develop. So we can develop positive mindsets, growth mindsets, um, or we can get stuck in more negative, pessimistic thinking. So tell us how your book educates people on developing positive and healthy mindsets and what's involved in that, Soren. Let's uh, decipher this a little bit through a simple example. Um, Dr. Laura, do you know how to ride a bike? Yes. How did you learn how to ride a bike? Did you read the manual or did you do something else? No, I think my father would have helped me with that, with training wheels to begin with. <laughs> there you go. So the, the point of that funny line of questioning I just asked you is because most of us who do know how to ride a bike, we do it when we're young and we, we have to practice. You put on training wheels, you might be wobbly, you might take off one training wheel and then kind of use that to you know, stabilize yourself, but then you might fall over and then you get up. So the reason why I'm talking about this in relation to mindsets is because as you learn to ride a bike, a number of things are happening with respect to experiential intelligence. One, you develop basic skills, balancing, steering, braking, but you also, as you get better, you may develop higher order abilities. You might be able to anticipate bumps in the road or discern potential obstacles or figure out how to, how to ride defensively in traffic. Those are higher order abilities you develop that are not just fundamental skill-based, but then you have mindsets about it. So you might think even really good riders need to be cautious and wear helmets, or bikes are an opportunity for transportation, which is true, but you might also look at a bike as an opportunity for socializing or exploring. So how you hold and think about what even a bike is in relation to yourself then impacts your ability to use it or your, your opportunities to use it. Now, here's where kind of the, the, the positive and the negative mindsets come into play. Let's say you are trying to ride a bike and you fall over in front of your friends and they start laughing. Well, that, or maybe you get actually hurt. Though that experience may imprint on you. I call it an impact. You can have you know, positive impacts and negative impacts. That might impact you so that you start to think, this bicycle is an opportunity to be embarrassed in front of my friends, or this bicycle is inherently dangerous. And I have to, you know, I, I'm not even sure I want to try this again. And so you can have a mindset that this bike is liberating and provides all these opportunities, or you can have a mindset that this bike is actually 
you know, dangerous and risky for me to do. Now, that's just a simple example about bike riding, but you can apply that to really, you know, public speaking. You know, people have traumatic experiences when they get up in front of their, you know, their class or they're in fourth grade and get embarrassed and that can stick with them. I mean, there's a lot of things that come into play with your experiences. So you can have the impacts can be positive, negative, and then they can lead to positive mindsets, negative mindsets. And so there's a lot that we can unpack there, but that's, I just want to kind of provide the definition of how, how this works uh, kind of in general related to both psychology, as well as, you know, there's some neuroscience uh, research behind this as well. And I would say that I, I think when I think of some of the challenges in the world today and you know, certain areas of the world at war with one another, I think there can be deeply ingrained cultural mindsets as, as well that can affect your individual mindset. Would you agree with that? Completely. And, and where do cultural mindsets come from? They come from your experiences growing up with norms and values that are tied to behaviors in a culture. And so I, I, happen, to, I happen to have lived in France and the kinds of experiences you have in France, you, when you walk in here, just a quick, simple example, based on what you said, you walk into a store, it's your job as the patron to say, hello, bonjour. If you don't, and it, this goes back to the French revolution. If you don't, it, it, the store owner feels like you are literally communicating. I'm better than you are because it's your job to communicate. Hello, I'm here. I, I'm, I'm connecting with you as a human being. If you don't, the interpretation is really negative. So Americans walk in, or maybe Canadians, and it's the job of, you know, typically of the, of the store owner to say, hello, can I help you? Well, that, that simple cultural difference, I believe from living there is, is responsible for the French thinking the Americans are rude and the Americans thinking the French are rude. And it's, it's not based on that either of us are rude. It's based on the fact that there's a different expectation based on how we're raised, the cultural norms about what's right behavior and what it communicates and the disconnect that happens. And it's as simple as that. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And what a great example. And I think uh, just from seeing lots of individuals over the years grappling with situations in their their workplaces or in their careers, I, I really see sometimes people have limiting beliefs about themselves, such as, you know, I can never do anything better. There's no other good jobs out there, or I'm not going to make as much money as I do now. And they hold these deep beliefs. And a lot of them are based in fear um, of not having enough, etc. And then they can get really stuck. So can you give an example from your book around limiting beliefs and how those, how we can maybe undo those? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'll give you a personal example. Um, there, we we do have I call them self limiting beliefs in the in the book. Um, and there's there's research behind all this stuff. Um, but I, for example, I, I went um, when I was in high school. Um, my father took me to buy my first used car, and uh, we got in there, and it was a terribly tense situation with the with the used car salesman. It was kind of the classic example, and. It, we didn't learn until later that this dealership was sort of notorious for taking advantage of their their buyers. 
Um, but what I experienced in 15 minutes was a really tense, uncomfortable situation where we felt taken advantage of and I see, could, could see my father struggling and stressing out. It was really uncomfortable. In that 15 minutes, I developed this belief that I can't trust anyone who's trying to sell me something. Now, that's a belief that's a belief about other people, but it's also a belief about me that I just have a complete distrust of others um, and that I can't be trust trusting. So what that led to, what has led to, and I had to spend many years kind of figuring out why I would be in a situation with someone who's just trying to help me out on the, on the sales side. And, and I almost... I could be rude to people. I could be very curt. I could be very cold. And so that was coming from a place of lack of awareness. But the way in which I've been able to start to look at many, you know, I have a lot of self-limiting beliefs like anyone else. I started to inventory, and this goes back to the tools you're talking about. What are all those life experiences that communicated something to me or that Actually, I uh, took away a communication from and then in, instilled in myself as a self-limiting belief. And so it's pretty simple. What are those experiences? What did I take away from that experience in terms of what it communicated about myself, about other people, or about the world in general? And then how has that impacted me in my life or in my behavior? If you just map that out, it's a, you know, it's it sounds simple. Sometimes it can be helpful to work with a coach or a therapist or a colleague or a friend or family member to try to get some reflection on that. But that's how you can uncover what those beliefs are so that then you can work on them or you can try to get more awareness uh, of them. Great. Yeah, I agree. And I think that work is so important because we all have them and they can be getting in our way and we don't even realize how much they're getting in our way. And stopping what we're capable or halting our potential, our full potential. Absolutely. I mean, we, we all have, I think they're really what you're getting at is that we all have this unbounded potential and that these things that happen in our lives that, that create those self-limiting beliefs, actually, if you start to work through those, that starts to reveal and unleash your experiential intelligence. Because really, those same experiences usually that have created that self-limiting belief can have given you other assets that if you ditch the belief, you start to see that experience a little bit differently and realize, well, maybe I got, in my case, that sales uh, car salesman example. I actually got the ability to read body language and kind of be sensitive to people's motivations and what, you know, what's kind of behind their behavior. And I can point to that experience as really a catalyst in me wanting to understand people and cultures and things like that. Um, so the flip side of healing is growth. And that's, that's a big message within, you know, experiential intelligence. Absolutely. And it's another growth experience. We all have these freaking growth experiences and they can be so difficult at the time. And if we use them to evolve, learn and grow, that that's the ticket. Um, and I think you do a great job of shedding light on that in your book. Uh, although you don't call them freaking growth experiences. <laughs> that's a term that I like to use. <laughs> but we can all relate to that term, I think, <laughs> as well. 
<laughs> yeah, and they're they're messy at the time, right? And and really unfair sometimes, really unfair. But um, we're all we all have our different hurdles that that teach us and help us grow. So speaking of growth, um, Soren, what do you read or listen to for your own growth and development? I'm really curious because you seem like an avid learner and curator. So if you have a couple of recommendations, books, podcasts. There's a few podcasts that I, I really like. Um, there's one uh, called Tech Nation, and it's, it's an NPR podcast. And the reason why I like it is because it takes current day topics like artificial intelligence but it ta- it gets at it from sort of a both a scientific but psychological and sociological perspective, and and the Moira Gunn, who's the um, who's the host of that, really knows how to dig deep. And so you take these topics and you you go deep, and she's got great people uh, on her podcast. Um, so that that's one. Um, there's a few others. Um, there's one called The Drive. Um, you know, I also, uh, like some of the other, uh, podcasts, like, um, the, you know, the Ezra Klein show goes deep. Sam Harris's podcast, uh, can touch on topics that go deep as well. Um, and, uh, so those, those are the ones that I, I tend to gravitate to. And then, you know, the, it's interesting in this day and age of books, um, even though we are talking about a book I have written, uh, I get asked a lot to take that book and write an article based on a topic within the book. And so the consumption these days of books is happening oftentimes through audio or articles and things like that. So, you know, the, the, the types of, um, well, you know, there, there's a lot of books out there I could recommend. What I also like to look at are online magazines like Psychology Today or Inc. Magazine, because you can get, oftentimes get kind of a, a snippet, a lot of snippets of a broad base of, of content and material that then allows you to then figure out where you want to gravitate to and go a little bit deeper. And so those are, you know, that's, that's how I spend, I spend a lot of my time kind of scanning what's out there as well. Awesome. And that helps you get, get such a broad perspective. And, and I really admire that about you. Just you, you've covered a lot of territory with your books, including leapfrogging, which love the title, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. You know, the, the, the first book was leapfrogging. Uh, and then I wrote, a, uh, and that's about leadership and how you take your, um, your own leadership uh, approaches and leapfrog over your mindsets so that you can leapfrog over whatever's happening in the market as well. So you can challenge, you know, kind of competition and meet customer needs. And it's all about harnessing the power of what I call surprise. So surprise yourself through giving yourself experiences that you wouldn't have otherwise. So you can come up with new ideas and and serve the market with surprising products and services. Uh, And then my second one was uh, the invisible advantage, how to create a culture of innovation. So if you're in an organization, how do you create the environment by giving people experiences that fosters risk-taking and fosters creativity and collaboration to get more innovation, whether it's products or processes or, or services that you're creating. Um, and then this last one really is, is I think, a little bit broader, 
but it's what I've seen is, is most needed today uh, by the world, by individuals, by organizations to recognize we have, all have that potential, the experiential intelligence in us. How do we unleash it? Um, and what are all the dimensions of doing that? And how do we learn and move beyond past experiences so we don't repeat the same behaviors that led to the initial experience? <laughs> so needed in today's environment, <laughs> for sure. Totally. So my final question, which I ask all my guests, if you had one wish for a better world, specifically when it comes to your topic, so experiential intelligence, what would that wish be? I'd wish for greater empathy and understanding of others uh, to allow them to um, feel seen and then also for us to see others in a different light so that we can come to more common ground and solutions. And um, that is experiential intelligence. Uh, that's how it, it can often be fostered. Um, I call it amplification, which basically means we're helping other people feel seen so they can be more vulnerable and we can amplify their strengths and tap into our own to work together in ways that you know might be unforeseen and surprising, but that really tap into all of what we're all bringing to the party because uh, we're all in this together. So that's, that's, how I, that's how I look at it. We are. And your success, Soren, is my success. So, <laughs> and you have some great success. So thank you for that. Thank you for all you do to contribute to the world of work and leadership and human lives. Thank you, Dr. Laura. Appreciate it. I hope that everybody stays well and take care. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Where Work Meets Life. If you found this content valuable, please rate and review the episode and share with others who may benefit. Visit me on my website at drlaura.live and sign up for my monthly e-newsletter full of tips and resources. I'm also a passionate keynote speaker and would be delighted to speak with you on your speaking needs. Stay well.